Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Apollo 13 Minute, where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of probably the greatest space history movie ever made, the 1995 Ron Howard-directed feature, Apollo 13. I am one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane, and instead of Chris Henry, we've got our own personal Jack Swigert here. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I am Brett Stillo of five minutes of this and five minutes of that and 12 chimes it's midnight lots of numbers in my titles yeah but yes yeah. i am i am the uh jack swigert to chris's ken mattingly so that oh. is the the comparison although chris at least is is having fun i hope he oh, doesn't he's have ha- measles he's having way too much fun i'm sure even with measles he'd crawl out there on the <laughs> on the runway and wave people in he's just yeah. Having, having a ball up there at uh, Experimental Aircraft Association's uh, Air Venture, which uh, if you're not listening to us, well, actually, you could be listening to us while you're driving over toward Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and getting ready to, to watch some uh, fantastic aerobatic maneuvers and just look at fun old planes and watching people going gaga over other people's planes. So it's it's just a love fest up there with uh, wings and propellers. And In fact, all. what are we doing here? Yeah, I know. We should just go up. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll cut out early. So, but uh, we're, we're actually watching. Speaking of getting cut out, <laughs> um, poor old poor old Ken is uh, getting his pink slip here uh, once more for uh, being exposed to uh, Charlie Duke uh, and his measles. And uh, this is kind of a this is uh, not exactly what the narratives call a simple turn, but it, it is kind of a a simple turn in where it goes from being sad and we're all a big team and. Gosh, uh, Jim Lovell's given that tough love, and uh, and falling basically falling on his sword and telling him it was it was you know it was my call. So just a, a bit a bit of a tragedy, bit of a tragedy there, and uh, it's interesting watching watching the great work of uh, Gary Sinise as he uh, turns from uh, shared you know a shared uh, calamity to suddenly feeling isolated and almost a betrayal. Yeah. There are a lot of emotions conveyed in this one minute. And, uh, you know, Sinise does a great job of, of shifting. And it's very believable how when this minute opens, he is really trying valiantly, I think, and sincerely to rally. You know, I think there's a moment here where Sinise's Ken is thinking about the mission. And, you know, he's yeah. saying, you know, Jack's a great guy. Although, you know, a few scenes earlier, we have a, a sequence that suggests, oh, maybe Jack's not the guy for the job. Uh, yeah, he's but more of a, uh, he's, yeah. he's he's trying to put uh, the mission before his own uh, emotions, but it doesn't last, does it, Jim? No, it just kind of goes through the Kubler Ross stages. I think he's you know he's getting into uh, denial and. And then he's getting down into anger, and he just hasn't quite come up with resolution. I mean, it looks like the way the way they're painting this is like he's going to go back to, uh, you know, turn to the bottle and just wind <laughs> up on a bend yeah. or somewhere. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> kind of the seven stages of grief in minute twenty three, yeah, exactly. minute twenty four, yeah. which is I, I think understandable. I mean, if if you think about, you know, what we said yesterday, you know, weeks months years of training dedicating sacrificing everything for the mission yeah would you say you know 18 20 hour days on average average easily yeah Yeah. especially especially this far into the mission i mean these guys probably are not sleeping they're probably taking you know wake up pills and 
and just cranking through all the stuff that they're trying to cram in their head, every schematic. They have to know where every switch is. They, uh, you know, they, they learn from previous, they, you know, they're, they're building on learning from previous missions, so they have to listen to the debriefings of every Apollo mission in the past. They're, pro- you know, they're, they're fresh off of a, uh, an Apollo flight that was struck by lightning. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, I mean, trying to deal with, okay, we, ha- we now know where all the sig- signal conditioning equipment is and where those switches are, and, y- you know, you're looking, this guy right here had to memorize the uh, the command module. If you, you know, if you've seen the command module, the the panel, it's just a wall of toggle switches and knobs, and you have to know where everything is so that you could do you, you could do what you need to do without even looking. Barely, you know, you just here's the switch, throw this, and this is all packed into his head. This is he's cramming for the final, and now the final's been canceled, at least for him. Yeah. And that, and that's another thing. It's it's what he says. You know, jumping to the end, it's it's this whole issue of being exposed to German measles. Yeah, it has nothing to do with his training. No, it's a fluke. It's just you know, it's it's like he might as well have gone out and get hit, by, you know, get hit by a car coming out of the visitor center or something. Yeah, was, yeah. Um, just, now this this triggered a little memory in in my noggin, Jim. That it I do seem to recall. You know, they keep referring it to the measles, but it's also known as rubella, and, well, and that's, that's the name. That, I, I think that's the that's the German measles. I think this is just regular old like okay. measles, measles. Okay, but I may so, be wrong. I'm, I thought I thought it was the, you know, some form of the German measles because I I remember. Oh yes, yes. I'm sorry. I I, I stand correct. I think they say measles in this. They 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 use the word measles, but yeah, it's rubella, the German measles. Yeah, and. See, 1970, I would have been all of six years old, and, and that was a boogeyman word for me. I remember there was a rubella outbreak, a little epidemic, 1969, yeah. 1970, and I just remember hearing that name rubella a lot, and it was not a happy word, and it was it was coming no, to I, get it, me. And it was, I mean, rubella was extremely dangerous to uh, uh, pregnant women. Uh, it caused birth defects and things, and there were, you know, I mean, it was it was very much a scare that it was, you know, rolling through the population, which was mostly unprotected. They were protected by measles, from measles, but not from German measles. So you needed. Uh, I know in the New York City area where I grew up, they would constantly have uh, commercials for the uh, rubella umbrella, which was the uh, the German measles vaccine. And they said, "Do you have your rubella umbrella?" And they'd give you like stickers and stuff. It was the first um, vaccine that I can recall getting that was in one of those air injectable guns that they'd put on your arm and oh yeah, get shot Star Trek style, and it would just be like blown through your skin, and which hurt a lot more. Than oh, it did. You just had a needle. Yeah, I remember. Okay, it good, being, to good to it know. Good to know. As you know, as a little guy, like a lot of little kids, needles terrified me, and I yeah. saw on TV news the air guns, and I thought, "That's for me. I want yeah. one of those. That's not a needle." But thanks for letting me yeah. know. Forty five I mean, years later, it's like the way people would, uh, you know, hurt themselves with uh, pressure washers. That kind of, <laughs> it felt like that. Was, imagine uh, one second of a pressure washer on your arm. That kind of you wow. were kind of sandblasted. Kind of like the ultimate punch in the shoulder from the ultimate mean big brother. Yeah, exactly. But, Pow. you know, you're protected against Rebella then. At least you weren't going to get it in that arm. Of course, you weren't going to be able to move that arm for yeah. a while. And then we could go to the moon. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, poor Ken getting bumped off of this. But I don't think he didn't know that this w- I mean, this he really did land jelly side up after this because he wound up in Apollo 16. 
uh, wound up late enough. In, and while he was out on his trip on Apollo 16, um, Congress would pass a budget that allowed for the development of the space shuttle. And he would, you know, he'd fly on two shuttle missions later. And, um, you know, I mean, what a what a thrill to be able to say you've been to the moon and then you got on something else and did something more. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and the, the last of, well, he, he kind of would team up with... Uh, you know, with Fred Hayes in, in doing the early, you know, the early flights with the uh, uh, with the with the space shuttle. You know, uh, Fred Hayes would be doing the uh, the landing test. They, he'd fly Enterprise, and then uh, Mattingly would command the fourth flight of the space shuttle. So he he did have a career. It's just nobody. There, there was nobody. You know, there was no magic genie or a, or a Doc Brown showing up, going, "Hey, Kenny, come here." Yeah. Uh, you know, to know that it was going to turn out okay. Yeah, again, you know, this is this is just one minute in the movie, and it's you know, it's really about the drama. This is, this is a bit of a concession uh, to what actually happened, but you know, it's it's what's great here is the understatement. You know, there's very little that's actually said here. It's all, you know, the awkwardness of silence. Yeah, and uh, it interesting the way the choice that he made when he's saying I don't have the measles, he doesn't say it. I mean, he's saying it to the room, and he's saying it to both of them. But when he says it, he's looking at Fredo, and he's not even talking to you know to the man who just told him that he's the one that made the decision to fire him. So it's like I don't have the measles, and I ain't gonna have the measles. And then he just kind of gives a, a final glance at his former commander, and doesn't you know doesn't wait for a dismissed. So. He's, yeah, uh, he's walking out that door and going. Yeah, that's that's maybe one thing about this scene that that plays a little false. Maybe it's uh, that. Yeah, it's a little soap opery. Yeah, it? yeah. I mean, I think they downplay it. It yeah. could have easily turned into a you know a Star Trek scene of of uh, you know yelling and pounding on desks, but they. Yeah, they, they yeah, did play or, it down, but yeah, Ken leaving and then Fredo running after him. No, Ken, wait! It's that seems a yeah, little, yeah, a little like, Hollywood, but I'll, I'll, I'll help you. You know, I'll, yeah, you know, you yeah, cry on my shoulder, and it yeah. just Though I, I would like to think that they met in the hall, and to try to cheer Ken up, Fred said, "Hey, let's 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 cut out of here. Let's go catch a movie." There's that big hit that just opened last week, uh, Airport. Yeah, Airport. <laughs> Did you think about that, Jim? That yeah, it's about yeah. A month I was thinking that's what, that's what they were watching, and you know the other the other really strange part about this is uh, four months before this happened um, was the uh, uh, the the premiere at the White House at a White House Christmas party. Uh, Richard Nixon introduced a sneak preview of a Columbia Pictures movie called Marooned, <laughs> and he, he uh, the people that he decided to show it to. Was the crew of Apollo Twelve just just returned from the moon, and uh, and also had had invited Mission Control uh, Mission Control people. Uh, well, uh, one of the things to, to consider on that the the movie Marooned when it was being shown at the White House, you know they're they're watching all this. One of the people that was invited was a fellow named uh, Philip Handler. Philip Handler was the head of the National Science Foundation. Now, well. Apollo 13 was going on. Everybody watched this whole drama of Apollo 13 and, you know, how could they be saved? How could they be rescued? And about a month after this, when, on their safe return home, 
uh, Philip Handler had gone to Moscow to meet his Soviet counterpart in Moscow to see if they could trade data. Um, uh, the Russians had landed uh, several, you know, several probes. They also had the Venera probes that had gone through uh, Venus's atmosphere, and they had a lot of data that they could use. Meanwhile, uh, the Americans had moon rocks, and they also had data from surveyor equipment. They had the Mariner missions to Mars, and they they both had a bunch of data that neither of them shared. So. Uh, Handler went there as kind of a uh, not quite detente, but just to see if they could find some way to just share the data that they had. And while they were at a lunch break, uh, this was in May of 1970, while they were at a lunch break, Philip Handler talked about going to the White House and, and being around the president for Christmas and seeing this remarkable movie called Marooned, a part of which was that the Russians sent up a, a special uh, flight to see if they could rescue Apollo astronauts who were trapped in Earth orbit. And while they were talking about this, uh, Handler's counterpart started talking to his other assistants, and he was talking so fast that the translators, the American translators, uh, couldn't keep up with what the Russians were saying. And so the uh, Handler's counterpart turned back to him and said, you know, we don't have any way of rescuing uh, your American astronauts because we don't know how your, uh, you know, oxygen connections worked and there's no way we could dock with one of your spacecraft and philip handler said uh well maybe that's something we should talk about and sure enough five years five years and two months after they had that initial discussion an apollo uh, uh command and service module the last of its kind uh docked in orbit with a russian soyuz forming the first uh link in space between the two countries in the Apollo Soyuz test project. So in a way, a movie started out that uh, that merger that eventually wound up being the uh, International Space Station. Uh, but that's another story in another movie. <laughs> we'll, we'll do that for another time. Oh, is it, we're, we'll be doing the Marooned Minute sometime yes. in 2030. <laughs> but uh, funny you should mention Marooned and Mr. Gregory Peck. I have uh, I have Gregory Peck in my notes. Really? Yes, yes, because uh, while I, I appreciate the drama of, of this minute and I appreciate what the actors are doing, and we've been talking about, you know, what really happened as opposed to the drama. And, I, again, I feel like they're also sort of condensing a lot into two minutes. You know, one thing that, that I feel doesn't ring true is Tom Hanks' silence. I mean, I appreciate the sort of characterization of Jim Lovell and just sort of clamming up and then just simply saying it was my call but I you know these these guys they're military pilots test pilots you know boy scouts and you have uh captain James Lovell test yeah. pilot Annapolis graduate eagle scout I I really feel in in reality you know he would have looked at Ken in the eye and said this is how it is I feel bad for you I'd feel terrible too but you know it's the mission it's got to come first and he'd kind of, you know, he'd do one of those speeches a, a commanding officer gives to uh, one of his men, just like Gregory Peck in 12 O'Clock Eye. Yes, yes. Some of us have to die. <laughs> yeah, there's no chalkboard, but it's, yeah, pretty much the same. And there's, uh, it's it's frustrating to see, well, you know, again, it's for purposes of the movie. But yeah. I, I don't think, these guys were bonded. These guys had a true friendship. 
Yeah. And I think that friendship also extended to Jack Swigert. They, you know, working with the other, these guys all had lunch together, had beers together, hung around in the hotels together. They were on trips everywhere. They all knew each other, you know, knew each other, their families, their kids. It's not like, you know, they're breaking up and I'm not going to be your friend anymore and don't, you know, don't wear my ring, that kind of stuff. It's, right. It wasn't that way. But, you know, this is a 140-minute movie, and they have to tell a story. So it's yeah. understood. And when we talked with um, uh, Fredo on, on Tuesday, uh, this, this past Tuesday, he said that Ron Howard had explained to him, that you know, explained to all of them, that they're going to see a lot of combined characters and a lot of foreshortened things and, and stuff that just plain didn't happen. But what they need to do is tell the story to people who aren't astronauts. Right. <laughs> so, Right. So if if you saw a, you know if you saw this as a by the numbers documentary, it would probably be pretty boring just seeing the day to day things. Um, having this slow time where they're you know this is this isn't how it was. This would be something where they get pulled into a conference room and said, "Look, here's a situation," and that would be it, and then it would be done. And you know, Ken Mattingly would feel bad about it, but he wasn't. He wasn't going to go off and, you know, rip the phone out of the wall. and Well, that's spoiling things yeah. later. But, yeah, it's, it's not going to be like that. Yeah. Well, I bet you actually that's probably in real in reality what, what uh, Ken did. He probably did stand up straight and probably grin and say, well, it's okay. There's always, you know, another time. Yeah, and then he went outside and he he beat up his Corvette or something yes, like yes. that. He took a hammer to you. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, we – you know, it's this is a movie that was intended for general audiences, and they, you, you know, you want to keep it compelling and exciting. And you know, overall, everything in this movie does happen. It's just as you said, they have to, you know, condense certain things and telescope other things. And uh, but yeah, I, I kind of feel like that was one thing that was worth mentioning. Yeah, yeah. Is, and this uh, is, I mean, we're only we're only 24 minutes into the movie and we already know pretty much everything there is about their interpersonal relationships. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, you mentioned a documentary and I think that's where, you know, the, the unofficial follow-up from the earth to the moon, that whole series, they did a really good job since they had 12, 13 episodes to yeah. really show how it really was. And, you know, the teamwork and the camaraderie and, you know the the real tensions that came up. Yeah, so. th- this this movie didn't have the the temporal real estate to do that. You know, you've exactly. got to get people in for the next the next round of popcorn. So yeah. it tells the story well, though. I think every you feel for everybody in this film. There's no like there isn't a bad guy. These guys aren't. You know, the, the bad guy is the German measles. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, they're 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 building tension and stuff like that, which. You know, some people need in the once upon a time bit, but it's none of these people you feel, oh, I don't like him because he did this or that or, you know, Gary Sinise is pouting too much. It doesn't it doesn't feel that way. No. And in, uh, later on in the movie, we're going to see uh, Gary Sinise as Ken Mattingly. We're going to see what a team player he really is. Yeah. And that's yeah. What, what the movie's what all about. It's it's the team. Yeah. And it's problems and fixing problems and yeah. being. And being able to build off of each other, so yeah, um, you know that's that's probably the best part of this whole movie is the idea that I mean it's, it's often forgotten when you think of astronauts, you think of somebody, you, know, you think of Neil Armstrong setting foot on the moon, but it's really about the you know the the women who sewed the boots on on Neil's suit lived in uh, uh, Littleton, New Hampshire, 
and they made you know it, it's the woman that goes home at night and you know she's she goes home to Nashua and she's you know that's that was her job and all these people all across you know all across the country and uh, data engineers and people doing tracking around the world all these folks people like in Honeysuckle Creek Australia who made it possible for for Neil to take his left foot and park it on the moon. And it continued on with Apollo 13. And this movie does give you a little slice of that, showing that they've hired a bunch of problem solvers, people who aren't, you know, they look forward to, how am I going to solve this problem? They're working working great under stress. They live for that, which yeah. most of us can't comprehend. Yeah. I, one thing that does puzzle me is, why do they have those gigantic woofers in that uh that equipment that's, that's in the background of that old time tunnel like uh, wall of lights. Uh, it's it's just funny you mentioned the time tunnel. That's in my notes too. I I love this room and I yeah. love the layout. Uh, I I I wondered if to decorate it they might have brought in other older equipment or yeah, like there might be bat computers or something in there. Yeah, or, completely, completely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there there is that one. Computer machine gizmo doohickey behind Ken with all the pretty lights. That yeah, we're it, we're both thinking of. Uh, I believe it was called the Sage Q7, probably the most photographed computer oh, in, in movie yeah. history. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it pretty much does. You know, it, it knows how to turn blinking lights on at any in any quarter. Uh, uh, folks, look up the the Sage Q7. It's it's pretty, and you'll realize. Oh yeah, I've seen that my whole life. Yes. It's always it's always there somewhere, and yeah. it looks futuristic, and it's just it it's movie shorthand for oh technical stuff. Yeah, and as you you, you probably know the story, Jim, as I recall that Irwin Allen himself insisted uh, on purchasing that from the Air Force when it became surplus. It was an old NORAD uh, yeah. defense uh, computer early on, late late fifties. Yeah, and like so 19, it, yeah, like nineteen fifty eight or something. Like, yeah, 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 exactly, exactly, and it became. Uh, property of 20th century fox so it's you know it's in fantastic voyage in like flint i believe it is in fact the bat computer yeah, and, yeah uh, some, or some some hunk of it yeah 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 and, and it, yeah. It, it it was eminently a uh, component so you can just move move parts around where you needed to on the walls i think so yeah but it's it's very mid-century sci-fi and uh you know it's it's still around uh as i recall somebody um uh, someone, uh, what do you call it? Yes, restored it to its its glory, and uh, you know it's it's somewhere in in uh, the Central Valley, I think. It's in a warehouse. So, yeah, the Sage Q Seven, we salute you. Those, those rattling uh, those rattling relays are, you know, yeah, yeah, waiting to find out where the Joker is hiding and or what the <laughs> what the riddle meant and the Riddler's you know new demands. Ah, yeah. wow. But someday somebody will do Batman. I think somebody may be doing Batman sixty six. I'm not sure. I'm sure someone somewhere is doing an episode by episode of Batman sixty six. Oh, nice, nice. Uh, I know that they just before he died. Maybe you've seen it. Uh, there was a feature length animated series, or not yeah. series, animated movie animated with movie, yes. with Mister West himself, and it is fantastic. And uh, Julie Newmar, as a matter of fact, too. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, that so, would be a good movie by minute. Uh, yeah, it's uh it's very yeah, very enjoyable and uh I do like seeing seeing the Batusi done as it should be. So <laughs> that's that's the end the end credits you get to watch the Batusi going on and it uh, and with uh not with not only Batman doing it but Catwoman as well. So very very worth worth watching. 
I got to go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, uh, again, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, Brit, uh, by the way, where can people listen to uh, your other uh, works? Yes. Well, again, uh, if you tuned in yesterday, we have uh, Five Minutes of Trouble, all about Big Trouble in Little China. Five Minutes of Bonsai, all about uh, Buckaroo Bonsai Across the Eighth Dimension, which, Jim, as you uh, so uh, well put, it's the Richterverse. I yes. love it. I want a T-shirt. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, you can definitely find those on iTunes, uh, Google Play. Uh, we have a Facebook page uh, and, you know, 5minutesoftrouble.com and 5minutesofbonsai.com. And if you're a fan of old-time radio, which I am. As I am. Yes. 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 <laughs> uh, yeah, there's our uh, – we take part in a little show called 12 Chimes. It's Midnight, produced by our good friend uh, Amy Pavi. Same uh, locations. I think we also have an Instagram page there. So we're everywhere. Yes. We're, we're like the German measles. <laughs> we're nefarious that way. Yes. So uh, don't get your Stillo umbrella, though, because it's, it's, worth, it's worth getting infected by. It is very <laughs> infectious, as a matter of fact. Um, but well worth your while, and it has ent- it, your, your works have entertained me hours on end. Oh, I thank you. The, the, so. uh, right back at you, sir. You, you are the James much. Brown of movie by minute podcasting. <laughs> I try, but I look I look terrible in those satin pants. Uh, <laughs> but oh, your wow. cape, your cape, uh, that yeah. cape, very nice. <laughs> Hit me, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> wow. Well, uh, for for folks listening to to our little show here, uh, you can always find us out at uh, Apollo thirteen minute dot com, Apollo one three minute dot com, where you can catch up on previous episodes and future episodes. You can also find us, as always, iTunes and Google Play and wherever your fine uh, podcasts are given away online. We are online for social purposes on Twitter. You can find us at Apollo 13 Minute. You can find us on Facebook at the Apollo 13 Minute Mission Control. So uh, we're always in there chatting away about a bunch of stuff. And uh, we'll be on in you know many future minutes. We're only uh, we're not even a half an hour into this show, but uh, we're going to finish up the week tomorrow with uh, an interesting blast from the past. A fellow who knows an awful lot about how this particular mission and several others of the Apollo era went down because, well, he was behind the control knobs of a bunch of them. So we'll we'll, we'll save it for tomorrow. But a very fascinating show coming up. Uh, thanks thanks for listening to this fascinating show and Brett thank you again for being part of it my pleasure my pleasure and Chris uh, say hi to any uh, Stinson Reliance you see watch out for any taxiing airplanes for crying out loud <laughs> yes yes we need you we need you back here next week pronto so that'll be great wow well uh, looks like we're coming up on loss of signal in about 30 minutes so, or 30 seconds excuse me so uh, <laughs> long minutes, show can't do the show that long yeah but it looks like 30 seconds to loss of signal so we'll catch you on the other side uh, tomorrow here on the Apollo 13 Thank you.